0: So, this morning, we are in the second week of our series called Ugly Christmas Sweater. As I said last week, as you can see, I'm wearing today. uh, In recent years, the uh, ugly Christmas sweater phenomenon has grown, it's become huge. I see, Nicole, you're wearing one today. You look fantastic. I love it. Um, and, you know, as I was saying last week, there's like no variety when I was searching for the ugly sweaters that I wanted to wear today. There are so many more out there. Uh, I had trouble choosing. Um, you know, there's just no end to the variety. And I said last week, this doesn't go just for Christmas sweaters. Uh, it, it goes for just the ugly in general. There seems these past several years... It's always been there, but it just feels heightened between politics and pandemics that there's just no end to the ugly that is out there. It feels like you just can't even escape it. There's so much extra ugly. And then this is what this series is all about. It's about addressing the ugly, but not the ugly that we see outside of us on TV or in our neighborhoods or that we read about, but addressing the ugly that is inside of us. We can often spend so much time talking about and pointing out the ugly in everybody else that we don't address the ugly that's inside of us. We miss it. We miss it. And I actually, my my Christmas sweater today is a good example. You know, I wanted to buy ugly Christmas sweaters, but I didn't want to buy, you know, for our series, but I didn't want to buy ones that were just so distracting that they took away from the message. So I found these sweaters, found this one at BJ's, it was really nice, but I forgot to do something. When I looked at it, I said, the front looks nice, I like a reindeer, but I forgot to check the the back. Until last night, I picked it up and I looked at the back and and behold, what do I see? I see a reindeer who looks like he's pooping out peppermint candy. (laughs) This would be one of those Christmas sweaters that I did not want to wear. And I'm just getting it out there now because I don't want to have to sidestep the entire message. And then you eventually, you know, you know, and so, but I thought about it, just as like I missed a reindeer pooping out peppermints uh, out the back on my sweater, we often miss the ugly in our side ourselves because we're so focused on seeing it in other people. And so my prayer is today that we will once again get a look at the ugly that's inside of us. And more importantly, we'll see how the Lord through his power, can change it into something beautiful. Now, last week, we started off with ugly thoughts. Why? Because all of the ugly in our lives start with our thought life. And because of sin, we all struggle with ugly thoughts about ourselves and about other people. And we talked last week about rejoicing in the Lord, how having joy in something that's larger than all of the ugly Brings beauty into our thought life. And and if you missed it last week, I want to encourage you, via the podcast, via the website, via the app, via YouTube, to watch it and to reflect upon your thought life and the joy that Christ brings you so that you may bring that joy to others. But for this morning, we are going to talk about not how we think, but how we talk. We're going to talk about our ugly words. Studies vary, but according to one researcher's calculation, we will spend one-fifth of our life talking. And so if the average person in the U.S. lives to around 79 years old, the last time I checked, that means you are going to spend 16 years of your life talking. 16 years talking. And I bring up these stats because anytime we are looking at something that we're going to spend 16 years of our life doing, some maybe a few years more, it's worth talking about. It's a lot of words, 16 years. Now, not only do we speak a lot of words, but these words have a powerful effect on us. In fact, in Proverbs 18, 21, it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Did you know that your words have that kind of impact? life and death. The problem is, and and, and why there's a message like this is so important, is that we often take our words for granted. We take what we text, what we type, what we talk for granted. We just speak them out. We speak out what we want, when we want, how we want, and how much we want without really considering the impact that they have on other people. And so today, we're going to take the time to reflect on those words. It's like when you, uh, you went to a doctor, and you remember when the doctor when you were a kid, and he said, what, let me see your tongue, right? That's what we're going to do today. We're going to have a checkup of our tongue. And our doctor today is going to be named James, Dr. James. He was the brother of Jesus. And in the book of James, he writes what is one of the most well-known checkups for the tongue. And it's my prayer today that as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, that the truth of his words will reflect in our heart to convict us and to encourage us for his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to start us off in James verse, chapter 3, verse 2. He says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his own body. Verse three, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. I think we have so many body parts that are so much bigger than the tongue. But, Paul said, but James says, the Paul, the tongue, is powerful. It boasts of great things. And did you see it here, in between these illustrations, why the tongue is so powerful? He's saying that the tongue is so powerful because it sets the direction in our lives. It sets the direction. Just like a rudder moves a ship, or a bit moves a horse, our tongues set the direction. They set the direction in your marriages, in your friendships. They set the direction in your families, in your work relationships. They set the direction in your churches. They set the direction in our country. Friends, your words set the direction in your lives. So let me ask you this morning. Do you like the direction your words are taking you? Do you like the word, the direction that your words are taking you. Now, why the tongue can set a good or bad direction, James seems to be highlighting the bad direction. I mean, listen to the extreme way that James describes the destructive nature of the tongue. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. You know, sometimes we read Bible verses and we just read them over because we've read them a ton of times without allowing them to really set in, for us to really reflect on them. James feels so strongly about the power of the tongue that he compares it to a forest fire. In fact, I want you to see an image of one of the forest fires on the West Coast this last year. This is what James is comparing our tongue to. I want you to let that sit in. James is saying this is what you and I are capable of with our tongues. Every single one of us. As we read in Chronicles, that everyone sins. Everybody. We are all capable of producing this kind of damage with our tongue. And let me tell you one of the reasons why. One of my favorite examples of our tongue. Fire is this fascinating thing because it has an amazing capacity to spread like nothing else. Like nothing else. Like, take water, for example. And if I go over here and I pour out just a touch, just a touch of water, did you notice something? Janine did not jump up out of her seat and run in fear screaming. She didn't even flinch. She didn't even move. Why? Because water cannot reproduce itself. It can't become a flood. It's not going to just be two drops and suddenly wash her away. However, if you have a match, it can spread Like this. If we were to light a match in here and let it go, it could take this whole place down. James is saying that our tongue is the same way. That our words can light, just as a flame, light a blaze in our relationships. In fact, a preacher shared a story once. He said he told of a Mr. Sparks, who was a business executive, and he went to the gym to work out. He was late getting to work and so he was speeding. Got pulled over by a cop and was given a hefty speeding ticket. He was very irritated. Some of us have been there. So when he got back to the office, he was still irritated. He looked at some of the sales reports and he wasn't happy so he called a sales manager in and he read him the riot act. Now the sales manager steamed. And so he goes to the secretary and he barks at his secretary. He said, did you finish those letters I want yet? I gave them to you like a week ago. Why are they not done yet? I want them done now. Start earning your paycheck. Well, now the secretary's angry. So she goes to the receptionist and she says, look at all this work that I have to do for this guy. And you just sit here looking pretty, filing your nails. Like you have nothing to do. Why don't you help me get this stuff done? Start doing your job. So this really irritated the receptionist. So on her way home, when she got home, she walked in the house, and there's her 12-year-old little boy, and he's watching TV, and he has a rip in his pants. And so she was so angry, she goes, look at that. You careless boy, you ripped your pants, go upstairs, no TV, no dinner, go straight to bed. Poor little kid. He had no idea what had happened to him. But as he was going upstairs, grumpy and angry, the cat made a mistake and walked in front of him. So he kicked the cat out of the way. So, get out of my way. Slammed the door to his bedroom. After telling the story, the preacher asked this question wouldn't, if, wouldn't it have been just easier for Mr. Sparks, the business executive, to go directly from the gym to the receptionist's house and just kick the cat himself? The point being is his anger spread from one person to another to another, to another. And man, we've all been in that place, right, where somebody comes, speaks angry words or upset words in us, and then we take those words and we pour them to somebody else. Right, we've all been there. It spreads. But it doesn't just spread over the course of a day, it spreads over the course of our lifetime. Man, I think of children who have been poisoned in their lives from the word of their parents. Inner demons that they fight their entire lives. Some of us here are in that place. Think of all the the marriages that have been burned and have been scarred from the words of one spouse to another. All the churches that have split, and it's all started with words. Families that are splintered that don't talk to each other because of words. Or look at our country, how the, the words of some of our politicians have just spread down into our culture, into our society. All the tongue spreads like fire the destructive nature of our tongue. And if this wasn't even enough, James goes on even further to explain the depth of the problem. He says in verses 7 and 8, he says, for every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Listen to that. Restless evil. Deadly poison. That's you and me he's talking about. Pastor John MacArthur, he once said, your tongue is so dangerous that no wonder God put it in a cage behind your teeth. I was, oh, man, that's good. And listen, I, and I, I know this is a bit of a downer message, and I, I don't mean it to be that way, But I think what James is trying to hit home, and I I know what I need to have hit home in my life, and I'm guessing you do too, is we are far too ignorant and oblivious to the damage that our tongues can do, that our words can do to one another. We're oblivious to them. So, James, he wants us to be aware of how dangerous this concealed weapon is we have in our mouth. Are you aware this morning of the dangers of your tongue? Now, the good news is there's something that we can do. And he, and he gives us a great illustration for this in verse 3 when he talks about how to control a horse. He says, You control a horse. Any horse riders out here today? Any horse riders? Anybody used to watch Mr. Ed? Yeah? All right, we got a few. Yeah, way to date yourselves. Um, I love Mr. Ed. Um, you put a piece of metal in a horse's mouth, right? And it lays on its tongue. And then you put a harness around that, and you pull it up over its head, you take some reins, and when you pull that, you pull the metal bit against the tongue, and it directs the horse. This is a really good illustration. By controlling a horse's tongue, you control its movements, you control its direction. And let me tell you, a horse, by the, by the way, is useless without one of these. I mean, did you ever know of a horse to, to, to volunteer to plow a field? Just to walk up one day to a farmer and say, hey, can I plow your field? <laughs> no. Or ever to volunteer to pull a wagon? No, you have to break the horse for them to be useful. You have to put that bit in. It's the same way with us, that we have to be broken. Our tongues have to be broken. They have to be controlled to be useful. Do you have control of your tongue this morning? Do you have control of your tongue? Better question, if you were to ask your spouse or people that you love or your friends or your coworkers, if you had control of your tongue, what would they say? Do you have control of your anger, your angry words? How about your sarcastic words? What can just be as justice cutting? Do you have control of your tongue? Now, if you struggle controlling your tongue like I do, which I'm going to guess all of us do because we all share sin, I'm going to give you some ways to control your tongue. First, we need to be slow to speak. James 1. Everyone should be quick to listen Why we're given two ears. Slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Slow to speak means we pause. It means when we talk to somebody else, we're not waiting for them to finish so we can say what's really important. Or it means we don't cut them off. It means we try to understand and clarify what they're saying before we spout off. We try to understand their opinion. We make allowances for their differences. I mean, how many times have you received an email or a text that just irritated you and your response is just a fire back like it's a gun? Or an email? That's often our our desire. Let's fire that back which is actually extra dangerous over text because you can't hear their voice tone. Sometimes they mean things one way and you take it the other and you fire it back for no reason. But when we take time to consider what we want to say, when we pause, we're able to control our words, enable from escalating situations, causing more harm. One of the best pieces of advice I got as a leader is that when you receive... Feedback, negative feedback, criticism is to not answer for 24 hours. To let it sit and to sink in. To see if there might be any truth in it. But we pause. We become slow to speak. As someone once said, we should taste our words. Listen to this. Taste our words before we spit them out. I don't know about you, but I just think other people can taste my words. I know they're good. I know they're tasty. So I just throw them out there. That's what we normally do. We says, taste your words. How is this going to taste to the person who is hearing it? And you know what's a great way to do this? A great bar for this is to ask the question, is what I'm going to say dishonor God? Not will it make me feel good, not will it make my, get my point across, not will it give me what I want, but will it dishonor God? For example, Romans 12, 18 says, as far as it depends on you, live out, anybody know? Peace with everyone. Titus 3 says, always be gentle and to speak evil of, listen, no one. No, Speak evil of no one. Including the family members that make you angry. Including the politicians you can't stand. Conviction of the Holy Spirit falling right now. Speak evil of no one. Let me, let me go, go a step farther. Post evil of no one. Facebook people. It's right here, let it sin in. Speak evil of no one. Speak evil of no one. I'm pressing this one because this is a problem right now. You see, anytime we speak in such a way that is contrary to the commands of God, it is a sin. Period. It dishonors God. Period. And let me tell you, this is why memorizing scripture is so important. Because it, it's like a bit in a horse's mouth. It, it's an incredible bit for our mouths. Because I'll tell you, ever since I've started memorizing scripture, how many times I'm going to go do something, it feels good, feels right, and then boom, it pops in there. like, Psalm so Roman, Proverbs 15, 4 says, a gentle tongue is the tree of life. You ever do something, somebody do something, you are so irritated, you can't believe they messed this up, you can't believe they got it wrong, and you are ready just to go, let them know. And I mean, I have that time, and then boom, a gentle tongue is the tree of life. Oh, but I'm so angry, I am so angry, I can't, how many times have I told them, a gentle tongue is the tree of life. Uh, but I, a gentle tongue is the tree of life. A gentle tongue is the tree of life. Or Psalms 18.34, your gentleness has made me great. This doesn't mean you avoid tough conversations. It doesn't mean you avoid tough confrontations. But it means that even in those tough conversations, you do it in a way that honors God. That is a great bit for your mouth. Now, I want to be clear. The whole point of the sermon is, is not just to get you to stop saying bad things. It's not the whole point. What I'm hoping, and as I've talked about this before, for you and for me, is that we would have a greater vision for our words. Some of you don't realize this. You don't see yourself as important. You look in the mirror, you don't see yourself as important. You don't see your words as important. You think somehow you're the one exception to God's word, that we were made in his image and gifted by him to spread hope and peace and joy in this world. You don't realize how much of a difference your words make. But God has a wonderful plan for your words. Far better and far reaching than you could realize. Your words can bring hope, They can bring encouragement. They can bring peace. They can bring joy. They can bring life. All of us can think of people, or I hope we could think of people, who have spoke words of life into us. We have that same ability. And even for you people who are quiet and you don't like to talk much, sometimes your words make even more of an impact because when you because you speak less when you speak people listen they pay attention when you have something to say but to do this to live up to this call that is in our lives we have to be able to and be willing to ask ourselves a question what does god want me to give With my words? What does God want me to give with my words? Ephesians 4 will tell you what I mean. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others, encouraging others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Can you imagine? how society would change, how our marriages would change, how our relationships would change, how our churches would change, how parenting would change if when we spoke, we only spoke things that were helpful for building up others according to their needs. Can you imagine? We need to ask the question, what can my words give And this is revolutionary because there's a subconscious, uh, normally we have this subconscious drive behind our words. And it's not what can my words give, it's what can my words get. If I was in trouble as a kid with my pop, my words were not to give him anything, they were to save my hide. And it follows us the rest of my life. If If I wanted like a tasty treat from my dad or my mom or my aunt, oh, my words would turn super sweet, wouldn't they? You remember the voice tone you'd use? Mom, dad, maybe you had a little slight rub of the arm. I love you. You were focused on what you could get. We're in in meetings where important things are in the line. We're using our words to get what we want. But to live a life that builds each other up, to have words of life, we have to be able to ask, what can my words give? I pray that this question will stick with you for the rest of your days. Well, stick with me for the rest of my days. What can my words give? What does God want me to give with my words? And listen, I'm going to say it again. This goes for like posting on Facebook and texting as well. Listen, far too many of us, we're given what we want. We're given what we want to give. Trust me, we have enough opinions on Facebook. We have enough opinions, especially when it comes to politics. Is that what people need? They need the hope of Jesus. That's what they need. They need a the peace of Christ. They need to understand their identity in Christ, that he came and he died for this world. That is what they need. In fact, I would challenge you for my Facebook posters in here. You go home. I want you to scroll through the last three months of your post. What have you been giving? Is it what people needed? Did it bring dishonor to God? Go back and look. Better yet, find a mature Christian who follows the Lord and ask them to look for you. What are you giving with your words? Now, some of you, you need to ask this question not because of the ugly things that you might say. Because your temptation is to say absolutely nothing at all. It's not that you're setting a bad direction. You're not setting any direction with your words. Proverbs says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. How many of us are withholding our words that would do good from those who need it? Man, I think about our children. How many parents out here watching at home in here are not pouring words into your children, both your your child, child children and your adult children. Oh, they know I love them. They know I believe in them. Do they? Do they? Do they know? Great quote out of the book, The Blessing, by Gary Smalley. He says far too often we allow silence to mold a child's self-perception. Let that sink in for a moment. We get so busy in in the, the rungs of life and going from one thing to another that we allow silence, our child's assumptions about our silence, to mold their perception. We must let our children know that we love them. We don't tie it to achievements so they believe that they have to earn love and we don't do it when they're only getting things right because scripture doesn't tell us that God loved us when we were getting things right. He said he loved us before we even knew who he was. Your children need your words. When they're children, when they're teenagers, when they're adults, they need your words. Starved for your words. And if they don't get them from you, they will get them from somewhere else. How about our marriages? How many marriages go days and weeks and months, sometimes years, without words of love and encouragement being poured into them? For those of you who don't even have kids or not even married, it applies to you the same as well because you still have relationships in your life. You have friends and families who need your words, a church that needs your words. I mean, that's why you see me praying every week for our child's ministry, that we would have enough teachers that we still don't have yet to pour words of life into our children because for some children, this is the only place they will hear those words. We must speak up. No matter how imperfect we think our words are, they make a difference. Now, some of us are held back because we don't know what to say. I I struggle with this. Like I know you must think that I'm just like a master with words because I preach every week, but man, I, I have since I was been married. I have always struggled to figure out how to tell my wife I love her. Like, I'll sit down to write her a card, right? And I will just bl- stare at it, blankly, having no idea what to write. Sometimes I struggle with my kids, telling, figuring out to tell them how much that I love them. So I struggle here too. But I'll tell you one thing that helps. We read it in Luke. It says that the good person... Out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. My point being, you can only give what you have. You can only give what you got. I may want to say, Tim, I want to give you 10 bucks. But if I ain't got 10 bucks in my wallet, I ain't got nothing to give, no matter how much I want to give it. It's the same with your words. You can only give what you got. Matthew 12 says a good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up in him. What's stored up in you this morning? What do you have to give? Do you spend time in prayer? Are you reading the word of God each day? Do you memorize scripture? Are you, in, are you in church on a regular basis, not when you don't have anything else to do, but as your first priority? Are you in a Bible study or a small group We have other people challenging you and teaching you and encouraging you? Some of you are not giving any words because you have none to give. And you are wasting the opportunity that God has given you to pour words of life into people who desperately need it. And I'm praying right now that you sense a conviction of the Holy Spirit where you are wasting that opportunity. Why? Because it's not too late. Like I said earlier, God can take any ugly and he can turn it into something beautiful. And I pray that conviction drives you back to his word, drives you back to his presence in prayer into, into Bible study and into church into serving him. Because when you do that and you're filling your heart with these things, you'll find you don't have to strain to come up with words to encourage other people, to give life-giving words to other people. All you learn you have to do is if you stay close to Jesus, he's gonna influence your words. The Holy Spirit's gonna bring them out. He will make your words beautiful. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have said of us that we had beautiful words? Beautiful words that pointed people to Jesus. That is within all of our power and grasp because of the Holy Spirit. We all have our unique styles and personalities and a way that we will do it but the power and the impact that they can make in the lives of the people around us is the same. It's endless and it's internal as we use them to point people to Jesus. All our words, they can give such wonderful direction.